going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. And good evening. Welcome. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show and to tonight's First Five. But before I do the First Five, I want to say a special welcome to... The Salem Phoenix Station, 960 AM, The Patriot. Welcome to the America Can We Talk family. So excited to be on air in Phoenix. We want to welcome our listeners there. Thanks to all of you who have been listening on Facebook Live and so glad to be on air in Phoenix. I also want to thank, I am broadcasting tonight from Colorado Springs, from the Salem Station, Colorado Springs, KZNT, AM 1460, uh, AM The Answer. want to thank everyone helping me to get this all set up to be broadcasting from Colorado Springs, Jim Barto, Greg Lindemood, and Lee Roberts. Thank you to everyone for doing this. I also want to do things differently tonight a little bit and thank the sponsor of our show here in the first hour. The sponsor of America Can We Talk is GC Works, which is a Dallas-based company that performs research in advanced technology and delivers innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry. Okay, now it's not really a first five, it's more like a first three. But what I want to hit on tonight has to do with the obviously horrible circumstances, the outcome of the hurricane damage in Puerto Rico. But really, I want to talk truth, as we always do in the show, talk truth about the amount of help the United States of America under President Donald Trump and his administration is actually providing. And I really want to do a bit of an expose on how just dishonest and and um, and harsh the American left has has been in reporting on our, our what we have been doing as as America to help the Puerto Rican um, citizens who are American citizens. So I want to start with that. There was just a big uh, tweet storm, for lack of a better term, uh, coming out of the San Juan mayor. Her last name is Cruz. So she's Mayor Cruz of the city of San Juan in Puerto Rico. And she has been tweeting essentially things accusing President Trump of providing insufficient help in Puerto Rico and referring it to as President Trump trying to promote genocide. On the uh, here in reality, the world of reality, uh, it was interesting over the weekend, actually, the mayor of a neighboring town in Puerto Rico, Mayor Perez, Angel Perez, uh, and the, the neighboring town, I may be pronouncing incorrectly, but it's uh, um, Guaynabo, is G-U-A-Y-N-A-B-O. This mayor said, I don't know what she's talking about. No idea what she's talking about. He pointed out that the supplies are pouring into Puerto Rico. I'm going to list for you everything that's already been sent to Puerto Rico. And he pointed out that this mayor, this Democrat, obnoxious tweeting mayor, Mayor uh, Cruz, has failed to go to the meetings that FEMA set up in Puerto Rico to help the Puerto Rican people figure out where and how the supplies and the, the basic necessities are being delivered to Puerto Rico. 
She's actually, in one tweet, standing in front of pallets and pallets of things, of supplies sent from America and complaining that America is not helping Puerto Rico enough. She is seizing on a horrible circumstance, and, and truly the damage in Puerto Rico cannot be overstated, cannot be exaggerated. This is that just is just just horrible damage, horrible loss of of just the infrastructure, roads, homes, buildings. It is a, a mess. Instead of helping her people figure out how to get access to the abundant supplies being provided, she is he's creating a media opportunity for herself, st- trying to grandstand as a Democrat mayor and complain about Donald Trump. This is the left using every opportunity they can to pile on Donald Trump. And just so you have the real facts straight, what America has provided so far, a FEMA press release detailed only some of the relief already headed towards Puerto Rico. Six commercial barges transported and delivered meals, water, generators, cots, other commodities, basic necessities to Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands. An air bridge is established, flying three flights per day to St. Croix, each carrying approximately 33,000 meals. Logistics support ship SS Wright arrived carrying more than 1.1 million meals and nearly 1 million liters of fresh water. Two shipping barges with 1.2 million liters of water, 31 generators, more than 6,000 cots already arrived in St. Thomas. I could go on and on and on and on. There's been an abundance of supply. A, and, and actually, I want to point out also that it is not just this um, bordering town mayor who has said that the San Juan mayor is politicizing this and is really honestly lying about the effort of, that has been made by the United States of America. But actually, Richard Rossello, who is the governor of Puerto Rico, has been on air thanking President Trump, thanking America, thanking FEMA for being so helpful and jumping up and helping Puerto Rico. And I want to lay that out tonight just to, I want to first give great praise and gratitude for all the rescue workers, all the rescue services provided, all of the supplies being shipped by FEMA. Of course, that's just by itself a wonderful example of what a great country America is and how we're trying to help. But I also wanted, because it's gonna, um, this uh, theme will echo through our show tonight, the American left is pretty much out of their minds trying to find ways to actually, in any way possible, denigrate, delegitimize, criticize, or, in the worst case, paint President Donald Trump as a racist. And folks, do not buy into it. Do not be manipulated by the media. Do not be manipulated by these lies. Because our job as Americans is actually to appreciate and support how good our country is. And as we talk through the show tonight, there'll be other examples I'll give of how just extremely irresponsible the media and the American left is being in, in talking about President Trump. I'm Debbie Georges. America Can We Talk. Lots more coming up. Talked after the break. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. 
program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties. And in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony List, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Can you hear us now? And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I want to say a couple more words about the just horrific hurricane damage in Puerto Rico and really what an opportunity it represents for 
uh, America to show the world how we come together, we help each other, we, we are trying as best we can to have aid reach the people who need it. And it isn't, you know, Puerto Rico isn't the only place, obviously, that's been sustained serious hurricane damage this year. We had similar problems in Texas, my home state, and, um, and, and other places around the country and in Florida. But Puerto Rico is uniquely positioned because they have been, you know, they are, uh, there is extreme poverty in that. I was going poverty in that country. Uh, part of the problem I want to mention in terms of getting supplies, there are, there is in Puerto Rico right now, thousands of containers packed with food, water, and medical supplies sitting idly in the San Juan port because Puerto Rico does not have enough truck drivers to transport the goods across the island. Puerto Rico, in part, is, is uh, failed infrastructure, the, the rampant poverty, which comes from their left-wing policies. Their rampant poverty in that country has made uh, providing aid harder. It is a this nothing in this show or anything that anyone's commenting about is is in, in any way um, denigrating the, the Puerto Rican citizens. There's just there's nothing but an outpouring of of love and concern and desire to help. But it is it's really important as we watch the reporting about this to not let the media paint a false picture, not let left-wingers like Hillary Clinton, you know, sending out just obnoxious comments and tweets uh, denigrating uh, President Trump, the administration, and how much they're helping. I mean, Puerto Rico, just as one example, uh, at the point, even before the hurricane hit, they have a 45% poverty rate. They have unemployment, um, you know, twice America's level. And they earlier this year filed for bankruptcy. Um, In fact, it was the biggest bankruptcy in U.S. municipal history. In face of a $72 billion debt load, they have a serious uh, infrastructure problem, a serious failure of the economic structure in Puerto Rico. So this hurricane hit an already devastated area. And, and, you know, everything really should be focused on uh, commending the people who are helping and and thanking them and wanting to to do more for Puerto Rico. But, you know, the left just can't let any, you know, uh, disaster go to waste in terms of trying to score political points. Okay, enough on Puerto Rico. And I urge you to read about it more because there really were some um, statements quite harshly denouncing the San Juan mayor for just not just that that her, she, you know, she's a Democrat and it was a an opportunity to pile on President Trump, but just truly just basically she's lying about the condition of the uh, uh, the amount of aid and the and the. Uh, what America is doing to provide assistance to Puerto Ricans who are, in fact, American citizens. Okay, so enough on Puerto Rico. I wanted to turn to, you know, this weekend it's Sunday, it's football weekend, and I um, it's always football weekend in the fall, and, and, um, and I want to talk a little more about the NFL. I did it last week, and I'm not going to talk a lot about it, but I want to just point out again, because another thing I want to hit on the show tonight over and over is recognizing the patterns of the American left trying to manipulate the public to see things and believe things that are not true, to try to contort public uh, impression of all sorts of issues. On the subject of race, leaving the NFL aside for just one moment, I think you probably heard, Law, you probably heard that Melania Trump uh, the the flotus, the first lady, um, President Trump's wife, uh, made a donation, and it was a donation of I think it was either ten or a hundred books to one school in every state in the country. She made a donation of books as the part of the, of course, important uh, goal of encouraging young children to read, to actually uh, have fun reading, enjoy reading. 
So uh, Mrs. Trump made a donation to a school in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and that should cause red flags to go up because it's Massachusetts, left-wingers there. So she made a donation of Dr. Seuss books. And, you know, all of you listening, whether you, you may have read them yourself as a child, you read them to your children, to your grandchildren, Dr. Seuss books are kind of timeless, and they help kids learn to read, and they're fun. So Mrs. Trump made this donation, and this actually has become an incident that I think is just helpfully, it's instructive to people who want to understand what truth is, instead of just enjoying the political ride, the political memes created by the left, or frankly, by the right. On this show, I'm all about defending what America is, talking about the unique greatness of America, and America being a country full of noble, good, generous, not racist, not mean-spirited, not hateful people, but truly a country filled with good people. So Mrs. Trump made this donation, and there was a librarian in this school in Cambridge, Massachusetts. This is a librarian for you know children's uh, library in a school, and she sent the most snarky, disdainful, just dripping with disdain and disgust reply back to Mrs. Trump rejecting this donation of books, of Dr. Seuss books. And she she wrote, um, I'm just going to very, read you a very small quote of what she wrote back. Just this just impossibly obnoxious left wing. And a lot of it's the, the blather speak the left always comes up with where they just say things, but they don't really say what they mean. They just, they find words to say that they think sound impactful. This is a lot of blather speak out of this librarian. But what she said was, I can think of no better gift for children than books. It's a wonderful gesture, if one that could have been better thought out. She also attached a list of book recommendations for the First Lady, which I will tell you about in a moment. And then she said, these books would have offered a window into the lives of the many children affected by the policies of your husband's administration. She went on in a different part of the letter to uh, say that she viewed Dr. Seuss to be racist, that the books are racist and filled with racist themes and images and they're horrible, terrible, blah, blah, blah. So... What's really funny is because and it's like the left forgets these things exist. So naturally, the resourceful people in the American right dug in, started looking around. This very librarian, this actual woman, the same one who wrote this just impossibly snarky note, um, is now up all over Twitter and Facebook in a picture of herself in the Dr. Seuss hat, you know, that tall red and white striped Dr. Seuss hat, holding three Dr. Seuss books uh, in celebration of Dr. Seuss, and she's about to read these books to children. So this is the same woman who is just dripping with disdain and disgust and and essentially calling Melania Trump a racist for having donated Dr. Seuss books to her library. And there she is touting Dr. Seuss books. And it's like, you know, you do wonder, do they not think that 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 the Internet exists and not recall that people are going to go looking? So that was the first point I want to make, but just ridiculously, ridiculously obnoxious. The other point I want to make about this, and, get, and again, getting at the mindset of the American left, this librarian probably thought she's going to have her day in the sun, her day in the spotlight, you know, showing her true liberal colors and denouncing Mrs. Trump and attack, trying to attach racism to Mrs. Trump. So the books this this woman actually encouraged people to read to children, the, the content and the style of these books, things like a Chinese-African-Cuban girl in Lahore, Pakistan, who uses a wheelchair. 
no, no kidding. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm blurring together several of them. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. But every single book that she recommended had to do with people who were starving in wheelchairs. Um, I mean, just it was just try to show how, show how socially aware she is and how she's really going to teach children social awareness. Now, I cannot imagine sending your five-year-old to the library and having them come home in tears because all that they ever hear about from this wacky librarian, just left-wing, blather-speak librarian, uh, is all the suffering and evil and horribleness of the world. But this is what this woman found to be the, the uh, epitome of what you should read to children. So there are many, many funny commentaries. I obviously can't read them all, but one that Mark Stein, I love Mark Stein, and he just, you know, eviscerated this idiotic librarian in Cambridge. But the one line he had, which was very funny, we're making ourselves a society too stupid to survive. I kind of like that one. But seriously, I mean, just recognize, and the reason I tell this story is not just to point out this librarian in Cambridge was really out of line, but to point out the left, and I don't mean just the media. I don't mean just ABC, CBS, NBC, Washington Post, New York Times, the whole slew of the left. I mean just cultural, I just just average Democrat voters. They feel impelled. It's like a competition they're engaged in to figure out who could possibly find the most offensive thing or create create some you know controversy over everything that happens to try to make it out that after all, despite what you've heard, Donald Trump and the entire um, his entire uh, you know, team is just a bunch of racists. This is what this person is trying to do. And it's really, really great if we can uh, just not give them the, the time of day, not humor that at all. Okay, so uh, back to the NFL. I was just going to make the point as this controversy goes on and on and on with the NFL. Um, you know, I, I feel uh, I feel in, in an odd way sympathetic with the players who won't stand up for the national anthem and don't turn the channel. Not because I agree with them. They are completely out of line. But they are just being manipulated by this media, left-wing Democrat media mob that attempts to set all the narratives in the country and tries to convince America that everybody's racist and it's a horrible place. Because these young men, are they are, you know, first of all, they're playing in a, in a sport which does not have proportional representation of American citizens. It is, you know, it is a over half uh, black players, whether, whether it's the NFL, the NBA, all sorts of the, uh, the national sports that everyone loves watching. So they are recipients of millions of dollars. They live in a country uh, the, among the best countries on earth. They're being paid exorbitant amounts of money, but they listen to the memes of the left and they aren't able to process it. It'd be one thing if they were to say, you know what, actually, this, um, you know, this whole, um, you know, uh, certain cases, certain things have to be cut off, certain things have to be fixed, we have to fix police or something like that, that kind of story. But we come back after the break, I'm going to have to tell you about the rest of this story. Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country. 
Based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility, whether informing the national debate on property rights, energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit Texas policy.com to learn more if you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men go to iwf.org that's the independent women's forum iwf is all about increasing the number of american women who value free markets and personal liberty IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. There's a lot of talk today among media and academia in our culture about everything that is supposedly wrong with America. Political correctness tries to dictate that we must stop thinking that America is exceptional. America's bravest have our back in the air, at sea, and on land. But who has America's back in the culture? In schools, on cable television, in newspapers, it's time to end the greatest prejudice on earth, anti-Americanism. And who makes the case for America? Flag does. Flag is the foundation for liberty and American greatness. Flag has America's back on the cultural battlefield. Flag is a nonprofit battle tank working to change the cultural and media narrative about America. If you think it's time to stand up for America, join the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Your support of Flag is an investment in the America your children will inherit. Visit their website at flagusa.org and consider donating. All donations are 100% tax deductible. That's flagusa.org. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. Okay, this is so funny. First, I meant to mention, we do put this show out on Facebook Live. And so if you're, if you're on Facebook Live, you can go, or if you're on Facebook, you can go to America Can We Talk. We're doing it live. I'm not sure on this um, 
when we're putting out on Facebook Live and we are not in Dallas. I'm, I'm doing the show from Colorado Springs tonight. I'm not sure you can hear the commercials, but I'm here and I love doing the show, talking with you. And um, feel free to uh, you can post comments and you can also um, email me after the show. Uh, but love having a be able to talk to you on Facebook Live. I also wanted to just finish and I, I went a little long in the last segment. I didn't get the clock quite figured out here, but. What I want to say about this that is so challenging about the NFL, I think that many Americans, first of all, to be really clear, the flag and the country, the founding ideas of our country, they're the only basis of unity for every group in America, the identity of an American citizen, the identity of America, the flag, the country. If you cannot be uh, very, very clear that you love this country and and support this country and love the the flag as the symbol of this country, most of America doesn't care what you think about any other issue. They do not care what your point is on anything, and they shouldn't. This is a true failure of our culture, our education system, that these players in the NFL cannot figure out that, that why their message is just not resonating with the American people when they won't stand for the national anthem, when they won't stand for the flag, when they won't show support for America. And no one is going to be interested in anything else they have to say until they stop this protest. I will also say the other problem with all this, I just, you know, if I were, um, if you want to make some progress in America is there is nothing clear about their goal other than saying they want social justice. They want, they, they think there's racism in America. It's just a vague accusation against everyone in America and, and people, most people respond by by feeling personally accused, personally accused, the country being accused. And most people in America know that what that picture of America that the NFL is trying to paint, the players are trying to paint, is not true. So they're pleading not guilty. They're saying that's not us and we're not going to play that game with you. But if the NFL actually has specific things, if they want to have this national conversation, you can't have it around something vague. Uh, like we want social justice, which means it's, it's another left-wing blather-speak term. It doesn't mean anything in isolation. It's just a happy-sounding term. If there were specific issues they wanted to talk about or that we as a country need to talk about, great. When you say, I won't respect the flag and I want social justice, I, I mean, I, I really feel it's, it's a terrible consequence for America because America is just not going to keep on humoring this. The NFL is already suffering a turnout. The poll after poll shows the American people are not with these players and refusing to stand for the national anthem, ref- refusing to respect the flag. It, it's backfiring on them. And I think for a lot of them, if they actually have some issues with America, they're feeling uh, like offended because they can't figure out why does America get with us? And the answer is because we don't know what exactly you're demanding. And if you can't salute for the flag, you can't stand up for the national anthem, you can't agree America is a good country, then, you know, we're not interested in what you think about anything else. That's pretty much where we are in America. And this whole uh, protest by the NFL players really parallels a lot of what left-wing America has, their campaign themes have been since Barack Obama and even before him, denigrating America, criticizing America, saying it's a bad country, and most Americans are pleading not guilty, including me. Okay, I want to get that off my chest uh, on this NFL thing. I really hope the NFL players can decide they got to think of a better plan but I do want to tonight, before we um, run out of, this is the fastest two hours of my week, I always run out of time. And I have an interview coming up next segment. And so I want to try to get this one story in uh, before we get to the break, because it's a really, really important story. You know, I always say this show is about defending America, the unique, exceptional greatness of America. And the reason America is great 
has nothing to do with ethnicity, race, national origin, wealth, anything, anything, any of those, you know, tangible measures of people or characteristics of people. The identity of America comes uniquely from the ideas on which it was founded, the ideas that we all can read when we read the Declaration of Independence, which you should read if you have never done, when we, what the ideas that were embraced in the Constitution, the notion of America, that individuals have individual liberty, and that we have rights from God simply because we were born. And the purpose of government is to protect those rights, period. So among the most important rights uh, enshrined in the First Amendment to the Constitution includes their freedom of speech. Well, something happened in Washington recently that is just a severe threat to the freedom of speech. I want to tell you about it. So in Washington, the um, Congress actually passed a a joint resolution uh, and they made it actually public law 115-58 if you wanted to happen to read it. But the gist of it is it was passed shortly after the horrible uh, incidents of violence um, in August of this year in Charlottesville, Virginia, where there was violence surrounding the dispute over whether to take down a, a, a statue of General Robert E. Lee. Leaving that whole controversy aside uh, for today's discussion, the premise of this public resolution was to denounce racism in this country, uh, which is a great idea. You know, reject white nationalism, reject white supremacism, Ku Klux Klan, neo-Nazis, other groups urging the president and the president's cabinet to use all available resources to address the threats posed by these groups. Now, you all might be thinking, gee, that sounds pretty good. What's what's wrong with denouncing hate? That's a good idea. But I got to tell you why it's such a dangerous idea and why you should be really, really concerned about it. First of all, naturally, in the list created in Congress, because Republicans don't speak up and the Democrats run the narrative, you know, you do not have any mention of black supremacists, which exist, the Black Panthers, a violently uh, racially motivated um, anti-white group, Black Lives Matter, which for whatever basis at first was founded, has become and has spawned great violence, murder of police officers, uh, chants by various Black Lives Matter uh, marches that are just just virulently, you know, deeply, hatefully uh, anti-American and anti-white. Doesn't mention Antifa, which is really a group designed to take down America. No hate groups on the, uh, if you want to call it on the left, were included. And so that that's one thing. It should be a huge red flag. But the other thing that's really, really concerning is the resolution urges President Trump and his administration to speak out against hate groups that espouse racism, extremism, extremism, xenophobia, anti-Semitism, white supremacy. Okay, so you tell me who gets to decide what's a hate group. Because I can tell you how the mainstream media, the Democrat media mob that we always talk about in the show, the Democrat media mob that includes... ABC, NBC, CBS, Washington Post, New York Times, L.A. Times, all sorts of the uh, liberal media label anyone who will not agree with the left wing agenda a hater. So, for example, if you believe that we should vet refugees before they're permitted to come to America to be sure that we are not admitting people who may become terrorists in this country Does that person count as a hate? If you espouse that, if you say, yes, I really want strong vetting, are you a hater? So then they can make regulations that talk about what you can say and not say. Are you a hater? What about if you're a a strong Christian uh, or actually many other faiths who support 
the idea that marriage is a man and a woman because it has been so for 4,000 years. Are you a hater? Should your speech be regulated? I mean, the whole point of not to, of letting the government have some role in deciding who exactly is a hater, who's an extremist, who gets to say who is an extremist. I think that abortion doctors that would tear babies apart limb from limb inside their mother's womb, I think they're pretty extreme. But they probably wouldn't even be considered as something to be regulated by this law. Now, I'll tell you something else. This is a path toward the government regulating speech. And it, it cannot come out well for America. It certainly cannot come out well for conservatives. I'll tell you, the other bills pending of a similar nature. There's a, a bill pending in Congress, the National Opposition to Hate, Assault, and Threats to Equality Act, the No Hate Act. It would greatly expand governmental efforts to collect hate crime data, so keep track of who actually said something about um, traditional marriage or some other topic that they think you shouldn't be allowed to have an opinion about. You know, who actually said something about uh, vetting refugees or any other thing that may be considered hate. It also says, so the government is supposed to collect data on who says hate things, create private rights of action, so maybe a gay couple should be able to sue a Christian pastor if he says, I actually still ardently, strongly believe in uh, traditional marriage. And also urges that uh, create private right of action for crimes motivated by actual or perceived race, color, religion, or national origin. So if you perceive that the reason that someone takes a position or made a statement that's inconsistent with your values, that's going that could possibly be under this law they're proposing a hate crime. I tell you, folks, you know, I talk about all sorts of issues on this show. I care passionately about America, about America preserving the rights of the people with whom I most ardently disagree politically should have the same rights as I do and every other conservative, every other American to say what they think. But this was a dangerous and poorly thought through resolution. And I urge you to actually communicate with your congressman, your senator and say, I'm worried about the the inroad made in America toward the regulation of speech by this law that was allegedly designed to, you know, speak out against hate. But it really does. It lays the groundwork. It plants the seed to say, in America, we regulate speech. I'm Debbie George Ast. Come right back after our break. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. 
IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. I have an interview coming up in just a moment. I mentioned to you all that I'm in Colorado Springs. I was here for a conference over the weekend. I had the fabulous opportunity of having a great sit-down conversation with Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, a national treasure. I also interviewed Frank Gaffney, the president of the Center for Security Policy, we had a fabulous interview, too. I was going to play that tonight, but he shared some big news that is very sensitive and has since asked me to hold back on that. So next weekend, you'll hear from Frank Gaffney with a pretty pretty amazing and, and, and consequential story. Tonight, I want you to hear from Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin. Take it away. We have the great honor of having join us tonight on our radio show. Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin. And the briefest of background, he was the United States Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence under President George W. Bush. And he has had a 
just stellar military career and uh, a great patriot. But I want to talk with him tonight about things happening in America today and what his views are and some of the issues we're so concerned about. So first, welcome Lieutenant General Boykin. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be with you. Thank you. Okay, I want to start with President Donald Trump gave a speech at the UN recently, and um, there were a wide range of opinions offered. I both listened to it and read it. And I wondered first, with respect to North Korea, President Trump referred to the North Korean dictator Kim Jong Il as Kim Jong Un, excuse me, um, as Rocket Man, and talked about the uh, idea that America could destroy North Korea. It seemed like some people thought that was a poor decision, a poor attitude. Others thought it showed toughness. I wonder what your reaction was to that. I think the reason that Donald Trump is the president of the United States is because he is not politically correct and he does not talk in diplomatic terms. He speaks the language of the common man on the streets of America. And I thought that the rocket man comment was actually humorous, but it also had its own impact. And uh, I think the idea that he was get, putting him on notice that he knows our capabilities, we can destroy North Korea, and if it comes to it, that's exactly what he intends to do. So I thought it was great. I think he's handling this very well. I'm glad to hear you say that. I think that there are some people who are concerned that the, the needling of this dictator who seems to be so thin-skinned would cause him to react with more violence or irrationality but actually, people like that need to hear that America is not afraid. And I think over the last eight years, they may have concluded that America was a little bit afraid of serious military action. You agree? How about the last 25 years? How about the last 25 years when three consecutive presidents have all said a nuclear-armed North Korea is not acceptable? And they spoke in diplomatic terms, and they stayed at the negotiating table, and they pretended to have sanctions on them. Well, guess what? He has nuclear weapons now. Don't you think maybe a different approach might be in order now? Because Trump is left with the situation that the other three did not have. And that is Trump is left with a situation that we have a nuclear-armed North Korea, and it's not just a matter of modifying his behavior. It is now a matter of whether we're going to take those nuclear weapons, whether we're going to de-arm him, whether we're going to convince the world to get those nuclear weapons away from this guy by one means or another. I think Trump is handling this very well, and Kim Jong-un is so confused that he does not know what to do with this guy. Love that. I want to switch. You know, we only have a short time tonight. I want to, we could talk about North Korea the whole time, but I want to switch and just ask you. There are so many threats that appear to be very real and serious against America. People list threats being North Korea, Iran, or even China. What do you think is the biggest threat against America's security at this time? Um, in the short term, North Korea, short term, but in the long term, it's actually an internal threat, and that is ignorance and apathy. The fact that we've got so many Americans that don't know what's going on, they don't know what's going on because they don't want to know what's going on, and as a result of that, they're not doing anything, they're not in the fight, they don't realize that America's culture and America's future is at stake today. They don't realize that under Donald Trump, we have a four-year reprieve to get it right, to start turning around those things that are destroying our society, that are making us more vulnerable to a, a, an array of, uh, of, of threats out there. So I think that the threat, the long-term threat, the biggest one is just that, ignorance and apathy within the United States. I love hearing that answer. I, do, I recall when, I believe it was Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, but someone made the point that 
at the time World War II occurred, we had so much just a core of patriotism in America, and we had a lot of people willing to step up when they recognized the depth of the threat, the threat that Germany presented to the world. And the speculation or concern is, do we have that today? What if we had the level of attack against the world, the aggression by Germany, uh, by Nazi Germany today? Do we have that core of patriotism and strength in the American people to stand up and win the fight? What do you think? I think we are uh, today living in a, a period of participation trophies, safe spaces, and don't let anybody offend me. Now, when those young men came across the beaches of Normandy in uh, 1944 on the 6th of June, uh, they were not there looking for safe space. They were looking to destroy an enemy that was an existential threat. Today, with this safe space participation trophy and don't offend me attitude, um, I'm not sure that America has the rigor and the toughness to stand up to a, a, a real enemy right now. Those young men and women in Afghanistan and Iraq and Syria that are over there fighting, they're tough. But i got to tell you, they are, in my mind, they are above, a cut above the average Americans today in terms of how they see things and the willingness that they would have to stand up to serious threats. Yes, willingness to sacrifice safety and comfort of home. It, it is just astonishing. I do want to go back to North Korea because I meant to ask you something. At the time President Reagan began talking about the Star Wars defense, there was mockery in the media and throughout a lot of uh, elements of American society, the idea that we could create something that could shoot down, intercept missiles midair before they hit us. Now we're facing North Korea, which apparently has ICBMs, is able to use them. Did the military do enough to develop our Star Wars capacity to be able to meet that threat, or are we able today, militarily, to use the Star Wars-type intercepting a missile defense to fight back against North Korea? Do we have the capacity or not? Well, I'm not an expert on that, so, so let me preface what I say with that. That said, uh, Ronald Reagan was criticized heavily for his, quote, Star Wars initiative, uh, because he was concerned about the Soviet Union. He was concerned about the Russians and the Chinese. And now we have at least two more key players that we need to be concerned about, and that is Iran and obviously North Korea. Uh, and during the Obama administration, he stopped all modernization of our missile defense systems. Now, he restarted it right at the end of his administration, but that was a setback. So we're, what, three or four years behind in terms of the development of those systems and that technology. Um, we still have capabilities, and some of our best capabilities are on board ships, Aegis cruisers. Uh, but that said, do we have enough? Uh, and I'd say no, we don't have enough. And by the way, we don't have enough for the long-range kind of stuff. I don't think we have nearly enough. Most of what we have is theater-specific, uh, you know, like the theater high-altitude air defense, the THAAD system that we put in South Korea. Well, okay, that would maybe defend the Korean Peninsula. But what about the entire coastline of the United States? What about Alaska? Uh, do we have capabilities to defend all that, all these areas simultaneously? And I question whether we do. I don't think we can. If you just tuned in this evening, we have the great pleasure of speaking with Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin. And I know I'm jumping around, but I just love having the opportunity to speak with you. I want to talk about the Iranian deal briefly. During President Trump's United Nations speech, he mentioned again concerns about the Iranian deal. And we're coming up on another time when we have to either certify or not certify 
that Iran is complying with that deal. And there's also talk about whether President Trump should respond to this by certifying to keep peace, by not certifying because the truth is they're not complying, or third, give serious consideration to withdrawing from the Iranian deal. What do you think? Go look on the Internet and look at uh, what Bill Clinton said right after he cut the deal in 1994 with the North Koreans. He said America can rest well now. They're going to disassemble their nuclear program, and we all have a reason for optimism. Well, and then listen to John Kerry after he cut the Iran deal. Same verbiage, almost, almost as if he, he copied Bill Clinton's speech. And both of them were wrong. And both of them were, as, as, if I can be Sir Cruz to say, just full of beans. There was nothing to it. And what we did is we put North Korea on a pathway to a nuclear weapon. Now they have it. We've also put the Iranians on a pathway to nuclear weapons, and they're going to have it in less than a decade. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't have it in the next two or three years. And we gave it to them because not only did we allow them to continue building a nuclear program, we let them keep centrifuges, and we let them modernize their centrifuges. We also we gave them $150 billion in cash. Where do you think that's going? You think it's going to the poor and the needy? No, it's going directly into their nuclear program, and we're funding it. And that's the sad thing about it. Israel is in a, a huge uh, situation now that uh, they're going to have to ultimately react to. And America, of course, we're threatened by the same thing. So shall we just call the Iranian deal a bad deal and withdraw? Do you think that's the best course? I think we need to reimpose unilateral sanctions. You won't get the Europeans to do that because as soon as we lifted sanctions, the Europeans went in there and made big investments. So they're not going to pull the plug on the investments of these European companies. But that said, I think America needs to show resolve. We need to come in now and reimpose sanctions and do just what we just did with North Korea. Say, if you're doing business with them, you don't do business with us. Any transactions that you do in dollars now, we're not going to honor. And we need to do that, and then we need to, we need to really start putting diplomatic pressure on them uh, to, to reverse what they're doing. Uh, my big concern is that we've got a National Security Council right now supporting our president who's not giving him the right advice on this. And I'm very concerned about this because they're saying, well, it's a matter of America's word is at stake here. Hey, wait, come on, be realistic. Look at what the, the, the Iranians are doing. They are doing things that are clear violations of these treaties. And then look what they did after we signed this thing. They took two of our patrol boats, humiliated the soldier, I mean the sailors inside those patrol boats, never apologized for it. They've held hostages there. What more do they need to do for us to realize that they have no intentions of abiding by that treaty, and it is time for us to make a good decision and get out of that treaty, reimpose sanctions, and start putting pressure on Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, this, I have just so enjoyed talking with you. I'm sorry we're out of time for the segment, but thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Enjoyed being with you. Okay, folks, to tell you that was fun doesn't begin to say we're in, uh, my husband and I were in Colorado at a conference. We got to meet with General Jerry Boykin uh, in person and have that interview. It was just wonderful. We're going to go off to break in just a moment. So I have to say for our Phoenix, Arizona listeners, I'm just on for the first hour now in Phoenix. So would, I want to say goodbye for now. I'll talk to you next week. Would love to be on for two hours in Phoenix. So I hope we can work toward that and love to talk to you uh, again next week. I'm right back. <laughs> 